Hi there. Welcome to Season 3 of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship coach, and I'm the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about my coaching services, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. We'd also really love your feedback, which you could provide by going to the BertScholl.com contact page and filling out the form. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at But Seriously The Cancer Podcast and on Twitter at But Seriously TCP. And make sure you check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash But Seriously The Cancer Podcast. And thank you so much for all you do. Today's guest is Rachel Hogenkamp. Rachel is the founder and managing partner at Rasa Spa in Ithaca, New York, and she's in charge of services and operations at the spa at the Inns of Aurora. She's a committee member of the Community Foundation's Women's Fund a board member of Family and Children's Services, and the current chair of the Tompkins Chamber and Convention and Visitors Bureau. Rachel has been a photographer for many years, and her passion was reignited when she started pointing her camera at birds, and it became quite a valuable part of her life as she found her way through her diagnosis and treatment. I saw Rachel somewhat regularly throughout her cancer journey, starting with me all but barging into her home to make sure she was okay when she was first diagnosed. So it was a real treat to catch up with her and learn a bit more about how she found her way through her diagnosis. Rachel has been cancer-free for five years. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Bert. We, we finally made it happen. <laughs> how many months have we been trying to do this? Uh, I think since the pandemic began. Probably. Which I think Probably. It, yeah, you running a uh, good-sized business during a pandemic. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Highly recommend it, by the way. Highly recommend it. I would say everybody should go out and try and have 70 employees right now. <laughs> so let's tell everybody what you do since uh, we're talking about the 70 employees you have. Yeah, yeah. So I am the managing partner and primary owner in Rasa Spa in Ithaca, and we are a holistic health spa. We mostly do services with folks who are looking for different levels of healing. There's lots of spas out there that focus primarily on relaxation, which is also healing. And we certainly offer that, but I think we're more known to be people that are coming to us because they have a thing that they need some attention paid mm. to. Yeah, we do mostly massage, but we do facials and body treatments and meditation and yoga. And yeah, it's a beautiful space you have there those things yeah it is i mean i think it's been nice for people during the pandemic i'm grateful for you and for everyone who gets massage and gets body work that you can do it i mean you're talking about a full contact business yeah <laughs> literally and right? but we have a our uh, section of the state it's been phased in we're doing well and you're able to open up and that's great it's yep. great yeah yeah that's good fingers crossed we can stay that way yeah indeed indeed so tell everyone what you were diagnosed with and how old you were when you received the diagnosis. I was, well, I don't know age. I got to think about this. Let's see. I'm 50. It was four years ago. So I was 46, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was in the winter. I went for my regular mammogram and I did it here at Kiga Medical Center and the mammogram came up sketchy and they wanted to do more tests there. And then I just said, look, I'd, I'd rather go get a second opinion. So I, within a week or so went up to, there's a place called the Wendy clinic nope. near Rochester. That's very well known. It's the Elizabeth Wendy clinic and all they do is breast health. That's all they do. Ah, never heard of it. 
yeah, they're great. You should, because if you ever find somebody who's dealing with breast cancer in our area, I would highly recommend it. Anyway, I went up there and found out a few days later that I had what they were diagnosing as basically like pre-stage one, and it's called ductal carcinoma in situ, so DCIS, in my left breast. So the good news is they caught it really, really early. But then the bummer was that when I went in for surgery, they actually found cells outside of the duct. So then that elevated it to stage one. So a week later, they went back in, did a second round of taking tissue, and then they also took one lymph node, and the pathology report came up negative for all that tissue, so they actually got it in the first surgery. I was like, well, this is such a weird world we live in, right? It's like, they got all the tissue that they needed to in the first surgery, but just to be safe, I had a second surgery, and they took more tissue from my body, and this lymph node that they actually didn't then need to take, right? So in and of hmm. itself, that was just bizarre, right? To just have to sit with that, to know that like cells in my body were actually removed. They didn't know that, you know, they were just doing their due diligence. There was no way they could know, but just was a weird position to be the person who owned the body. Yeah, to have cells removed that did not need to be removed. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, and then I did radiation. I did not thankfully have to do chemo, which was great, but I did radiation for four weeks. So they had removed the cancer that was outside of the area they were directing themselves towards. Right. And they were concerned that they may not have gotten it all since there was more than they had anticipated. So they went in and just took out, sounds like they just made, give themselves a broader margins. Yeah and took out more. And so as reassuring as it may have been to have that tissue removed, it sounds like reassured is not how you felt. I just felt like my mind was really on like, I I didn't stop and should I do radiation? Should I not? Should I do the second surgery? Should I not? I just felt like I was in a trust zone. Mm-hmm. I liked the people I was working with, you know? So even though I didn't want to do it, there wasn't a big part of me that was like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? I just was like, okay, we're going to do this. So. Uh, I acknowledge that when I was going through my second treatment, I was working with Memorial Sloan Kettering, a doctor named Dr. Nancy Kameny. She's fantastic. And as I was going through my chemo, she told me, look, you know, what supplements are you taking? This, 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 and this. And she's like, no, you can't take any of those. And I was speaking to a woman who was being my coach at the time. Mm-hmm. And she really brought it to my attention. She was like, look, think of your doc as your coach. She's telling you to run laps, do push-ups, whatever it is. Like, your coach is giving you work to do. And she, right. the coach said, do this and do that. If you don't want to do what the coach says, no problem. Stop working with the coach. Right. I wanted to still take my supplements. Mm. And the coach I was working with was like, well, then you want a different coach. I'm like, I don't. Mm. She's like, well, then you want to stop taking those supplements <laughs> or, <laughs> or or tell your doctor taking them anyway, in which case she wouldn't work with me. I mean, she, Dr. Kemeny has like, you know, she often can't see patients. She can't take anymore because she's full. People come from all over the world. You know, you sit in the waiting room and there's, you know, people speaking all kinds of languages because huh. she's phenomenal. You know, she only sees patients who have rectal cancer metastasized to the liver. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's that refined. And she's... 
but crazy too that it's that refined and there's so many people that she's got a waiting list right exactly exactly yeah in a weird world we are and so i got on board with what my doc wanted me to do and did it and it actually was a more peaceful experience than taking supplements and not telling her Mm. and and just i love that i love that when you were given a direction and orders from the doc you just went okay right i feel that these people are safe to work with i trust these people and i'm going forward and just do as they say which is not actually normally how i would do that yeah. Like in my, you know, if I would think of my life and if somebody would have said, Hey, you're going to get diagnosed with breast cancer and you're going to have to deal with this stuff. I would not have said, I'm going to just jump on the train. I would have thought that I would have been somebody that would have wanted to like talk to 18 people and what's really important and how do I want to do this holistically. And so it was really curious to me, honestly, that like my mind just was so focused on mm. it. I didn't, I don't feel like I went through what I hear a lot of people going through around decisions when one's dealing with a cancer diagnosis of how do I do this and what am I going to do? I also feel like incredibly grateful that it was a very early catch, right? I mean, would it have been like a stage two, stage three or something else worse? I might've done that really differently, but I think because it was basically like super clear and in the little bit that I did read, which I didn't do a lot of reading, and talking to a couple other people was like DCIS is very common. It's like sadly a very common diagnosis. If you get it early, most women do really well. So I just wanted it out was kind of how I felt, you know? Yeah. It fascinates me how we respond to a diagnosis. Like, you know, with mine, for instance, they said, okay, well, you need to have a permanent colostomy. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what? Like, you know, I, right. I went into a tailspin and, of course. you know, researched all kinds of things. You know, as you know, I ended up doing a, a non-traditional treatment and unconventional detox therapy in hopes of not having to, you know, I mean, you know, chemo and radiation, sure, I could avoid that. That sounds great. But I really wanted to not have a colostomy. And, uh, yeah. So. I would think if people were asked questions in their life, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, if somebody presents you with, you'd have to have a colostomy. This is the rest of your life or not. I'm going to bet that people are going to say not something I would want to live with. Right. And you're doing it. I mean, it makes you know? travel really easy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to stop as frequently. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I went through all kinds of, gosh, what should I do? Which direction should I go? And as you know, and for everybody listening, I went eventually with, after 10 months of a detox therapy, I eventually went with a traditional treatment because it, you know, in retrospect, we could see it was working, but it was not working well enough. And my pain was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I was already on a significant amount of morphine. So I said, okay, like time to do traditional treatment. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah. So many factors, you know, it's, uh, it's not uncommon to hear people just recognize, okay, I went into cancer and I found out like, wait, I have options. I mean, I love that you didn't really have options in the sense that like, you know, 
with some people it can be like, well, we can do this treatment and try that, or we can do such and such and we can try this. And your doctor mm -hmm. were like, no, you got a pretty standard uh, right. diagnosis. We caught it early and we can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I remember just that one bump in the road. And I remember when you said, yeah, I just had my surgery. Okay, now I have to go back for more. I remember right. the feeling I had and like the message you conveyed. You're just like, what? Yeah. I thought I was done. I'm already going through this trauma. Right. And now we're stepping back in again. Yeah. 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 Mm. You know, and it's interesting because it's like on a, as somebody who's, you know, I, I would never have thought this was going to be my life, but I became a massage therapist in 1994, which then led me to open Rasa in 2006. And so my life has been really devoted in lots of ways to the body, right? And as a body worker, you know, two surgeries just in terms of what it does to one's body and then the flow and then the like, you know, all of the congestion that happens and the scar tissue and everything, I was already anticipating what's been true, which is that it's just harder. It's harder when you have, you know, and I know you had multiple procedures too, but when they go into the same place twice so soon on a tissue level, like on a mm. connective tissue muscular level, it just meant that the healing was going to be, you know, take a long time. I, I'm not even fully there now and it's four years later. Is that right? Yeah. I don't have full range of motion. I have like 95% probably, but I can feel it. You know, if I take this, my left arm back versus my right arm, I feel there's a point at which it's like, oh, yep. I feel that tissue pulling. Um, I got frozen shoulder last year that lasted like eight months. And I think it was in part because this was starting to get almost back to full and I probably pushed it and then frozen shoulder kicked in and then I was right back to like that mm. one. So yeah, anyway, just interesting. I mean, interesting from that side too. I just have been fascinated with that a little bit. I like to get work on it. I like to have people work on my scar. I was gonna say. Yeah, the right person. It's super sensitive. It's really, really tender, you know? Yeah. My, my body's really sensitive anyway, but that place is like extra sensitive. So I'll only do it with somebody who I really trust, but I love getting work on that. And I know you well enough that I'm sure you're applying all of your knowledge and wisdom to healing that surgical area. And it's amazing with all that you know that it's still where it is uh, like you know for me when i put the uh i i, I used to constantly put uh what was it calendula on my scar just castor oil no actually no i did calendula just trying uh -huh. to soften the tissue you know because it was so stiff i don't know how well that worked but it's the stiffness of a surgery scar it's incredible yeah, yeah. and so you get a little body work done on it now and again yeah, I do. And, you know, I mean, your comment about knowing me well enough that I would do those things. I think it's also true that I know a lot, but I don't always do them. <laughs> you know, I do do things. It's not that I'm not doing them, but I don't, I haven't honestly, since that all happened, I don't have a ritual. I don't mm. have like a, all right, I'm sure I'd be better for it if I had done that, but I don't, but I definitely have an arsenal of things I can do when I get to a point where it's like, all right, Rach, walk your talk. For God's sake, you know. The body is letting you know, like, I really oh. need your assistance right now. Totally. <laughs> oh, my yep. goodness. So you had your second surgery. 
And yep. I mean, that just interests me so much that you had surgery a week later. Like it just makes me think like whatever was inflamed was then like re-entered. It had to just, you know, intensify the inflammation, the stress to the body. Yeah, I think that that's true. Well, you know, and then it kind of feeds in for me to my, just my own personal belief on cell structure and cancer itself, you know, and I just feel like if everybody wanted to go poking around in their body, I would imagine the greater majority of the planet would find some level of cancer. That's my belief. Well, yeah, doctors have told me that cancer exists in your body and your body, yeah. most people's body does a great job of getting rid of it. It, 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 it occurs in the body, the body get, gets rid of it. And if we were to scan, then know how, how this came to my attention was my docs told me, you know, after, after my first diagnosis anyway, after X number of years, we'll stop the scans. You know, you'll eventually you know, go from quarterly scans to every six months to once a year. And then eventually after so many years, we'll stop. And I said, well, why? Don't you want to keep looking? Hmm. And they said, you know, if we scan a body on a regular basis, you'd be amazed at the things you'll find. And one of those things is little cancer shows up, body gets rid of it, takes it away. Um, yeah. Little cysts show up, the body gets rid of it, moves on, keeps doing its thing. They said, if we scanned everybody, you'd be fascinated by what shows up. Right, right, right. Yeah, like we didn't do a body scan for me. I've never had a body scan. It was literally just focusing on the breast tissue and that's all I do now. I go, right now I'm still doing six months. I think it's after five years, I'll go back to a year. I'm coming up. Gosh, I think next year might be five years. So, you know, when I reach the five-year point, I think then we go to once a year instead of twice a year. They just do, I'm now doing an ultrasound and I'm doing a mammogram and that's it. And they've never suggested to me to do anything else and I've never asked. Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> please, please, let's go poking around and see what else we can find. Yeah. Like, oh. nope, that's once, I feel like with my once, once is good, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm down to annual scans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've spoken to some cancer survivors who say there is no end to scans. And then other doctors and survivors have told me, no, after X number of years, I stop my scans. Uh -huh. I guess I'll probably ask my doc, you know, where we are right. with this. Because when I get my annual scan, I have a CT scan and they inject a little contrast in there. And the contrast, uh, is now having an impact on me you know i don't it affects my body in a way that they're concerned so they set me up with pre-meds you know prednisone and benadryl and that stuff whacks me out like yeah, i'm gonna ask them uh for this upcoming appointment in december if we can do a smaller dose yeah and we'll see and then i'm also going to ask if how long i will be scanned for if there's a end mm -hmm. in sight Mm -hmm. And I actually get concerned about that. Like, do I want no more scans? Right, right, right. I'm so accustomed to being told you're good. You don't have cancer. Right. With the memory of, you know, three years after my first diagnosis. Oh, wait, you do have cancer again. Yep. So I just, mm. Mm -hmm. and I'm not there yet. <laughs> I am where I am. So you had radiation how many weeks after your surgery you recall it wasn't too long i needed to heal from the surgery i want to say it was maybe like three weeks later so i had already had a trip planned to go to key west mm -hmm. which i had been doing every year for like 25 years 
So I was like, I am not canceling my trip to Key West. And that was pretty darn close to right after. I'd have to go back and look for it because I actually put it in my calendar. So I have it somewhere, but two or three weeks would be my guess. So I went to Key West for 10 days. I had to baby it a little bit, so I wasn't able to do all the things I would normally do, but it was still lovely to just, I go with a bestie of mine from college every year. And uh, we meet down, we've met down there. We actually haven't gone the last couple of years for different reasons, but we probably went like 15 of 20 years. Mm. Super sweet. We just have an easy, fun time together. Stay at the same B&B, you know, it's just like home, which I love. You know, I'm such a creature of comfort. It's like, yeah. oh, I want to go to a place that I know and love. So anyway, I was there and then it was really an interesting one of the most interesting things that happened out of this experience for me was, so I have a sister who's two years older than me. We're not very close. She's got two sons. I mean, we're closer than some people. I know that I've talked to some people in my life who have family that they don't talk to for months or years. We're not like that, but we don't have like a close heart connection. Mm-hmm. You know, we catch up on like what's going on. Yeah. She's got two sons who I love who are now 17 and 21. And I'm in touch with her largely because of that. And now my parents live two doors down. So now we're all kind of connected because they're now near my sister. But going back to what happened back then was that my sister, and I actually think that it was because she was worried for herself, honestly, partially for me, but largely for her, she was really, really, really insistent that I get a second opinion before I just jump into radiation. Because like, should I do chemo? Should I be doing anything else? Is there any other surgery I should do? And I said to her, I was like, look, if you organize it, I will go, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to do it. So that was actually probably the nicest thing in some ways that she's done for me ever, even though I didn't really care. It was sort of this weird, twisted, a little narcissistic, right? Because she, she really wanted to do it, I think for herself, but I think she was also worried about me. Mm -hmm. So she got me an appointment at at Dana-Farber. So I got back from Key West and within like a couple of days, I jumped in a car and went to Dana-Farber and they just concurred. You know, they didn't have anything else to say. They just were like, yep, DCIS. Yep, looks like some cells were out. They did the right thing by doing the second surgery, checking a lymph node. We would recommend radiation next as well. And we don't think you need chemo. So it just basically was another level of like validation for what I was doing. So yeah. That was good, but I wouldn't have done it if my sister hadn't set it up because I, I didn't feel like I needed it. I did get a really fun road trip with another friend of mine, so that was great. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. I got introduced to the musical Hamilton on that road trip, oh. so that was fun. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I took actually Ellen and her girls there last year we saw it in New York. It took us like a year and a half to get tickets. Oh but- my goodness. Well, largely because we weren't going to pay $900 for a seat. We, we still paid a lot of money, but I was like, all right, I love you guys, but maybe like $400 a seat. Let's try that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the Boston trip was kind of fun too, because I saw, I have two dear friends who live there. So I got to connect with people and, and then I got to reassure my sister and didn't have to do chemo. And that was good. So yeah, four weeks of radiation that started like three weeks later. And then why do you think your explain to me, you said you think your sister wanted you to get the second opinion for her. Well, breast cancer is hereditary, can be hereditary. 
And I think we don't have a history of breast cancer in the family. So everybody was a little bit perplexed as to why I got it. Um, it's not exclusively hereditary, but it can be, right? Mm. So I think she was concerned for herself. Like, I think she really wanted to know, like, do we have all the information? Because I want to know for me also what's going on. She also wanted you to get a second opinion for you as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. why don't yeah. you just make sure? Yeah, the sibling connection when my brother had his colonoscopy after my being diagnosed. His friend was giving him a ride home and he called me and he was so emotional because there was so much relief of like, oh, you know, it's like, I don't think, well, I didn't know how much was going on for him. I'm not sure if he knew how much was going on for him until it was over and he knew he didn't have, yeah, you know, colorectal cancer. It's like, he was so emotional and just uh -huh. so relieved as, as was I. Right. There is the connection to family and no one in my family. Well, how can I say this? How the doctors responded, let me know that the folks in my family who've had cancer, and that is my dad's mom had pancreatic cancer. My mom's like second cousins mm -hmm. had colon cancer. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the connection that the doctors were keeping an eye out for. Oh. We don't, not so in other words, you know, there isn't cancer in my family and they don't know why I got rectal cancer. Right. I don't know right. where it came from. Hmm. I feel like almost I was grateful that it was me and not them hmm. because I just wouldn't want them to go through it. But then as I look back, I'm like, oh, also what there is, I can't imagine what it's like to have a sibling with a, with a cancer diagnosis. Right, right. And then I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm being kind of selfish. Like, I don't want to go through what they went through. <laughs> the powerlessness of not being able to do anything. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yep. So you had four radiation treatments? No, I had four weeks of every day a week. Oh, you had yep. 20 radiation treatments. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, the first few, maybe like the first week part of what was happening for me was I was aware of the fact, very aware of the fact that they book radiation treatments in 15 minute increments, basically. So I felt really aware of the energetic level of the space. I was like every 15 minutes throughout the day, except for probably a lunch break, a new person's coming in here dealing with this thing. Right. And so the two techs that were working with me, one of them in particular, I really liked a lot. Um, she subsequently actually died of cancer about a year later. Oh my goodness. She had gotten into doing this work because she had cancer and she wanted to help people and she seemed to be doing fine. And then within a year of when I finished my round of radiation, I think it was somewhere around there. She died. I liked her a lot. She just was really sweet and kind and, knew what she was doing, you know, but made room. So one of the things that was hysterical for me was that they had light 97 on playing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember having, cause I would have preferred silence. For those of you listening, light 97 is a local radio station. Yeah. Light that rock. Plays, you know, like light rock, eighties, nineties, you know, sometimes the seventies gets thrown in there or whatever, but it's, you know, it's light rock for sure. Right. I didn't really want that to be the soundtrack of my radiation experience. 
you know? <laughs> it was like not exactly where my mind was at, right? <laughs> so I had a little bit of a meltdown after the first couple of days. And I just, what I ended up doing was really using it as a meditation for myself. So I just took it on and was like, look, these women have to be with people who are dealing with cancer and probably many times over people that are in really serious, dire health conditions, right? Like I was a seemingly pretty healthy person. You know, I was able to walk in and I was able to walk out. I was, you know, quote unquote, fine, right? But there are people that are coming in there that are not so fine. Yeah. You know, these poor women just have to figure out how the hell to get through it. So I didn't have it in me to say to them like, can we please stop the 97? That'd be great. So I just rolled with it, you know, and I, I took it upon myself to just like have my own internal mantra. You know, I was doing like meta meditation and this loving kindness stuff that I'd learned. That's all about sending out love to yourself and other people. And so I just used it as a 15 minute meditation. Most of the time. Life provides us these opportunities to, you know, are we going to, you know, resist what's happening or are we going to take on a practice to allow what is so and have some compassion for others? And I, it's wonderful. Right. I love that you were able to do that. Like you're going through radiation for crying out loud, which is not pleasant. At least my experience of it was particularly right. unpleasant. And you're going through a cancer diagnosis and you still, you know, were able to create compassion and space for these women yeah. who see people being treated for a deadly disease all day long yeah i can't imagine actually i, mm. I don't think i could do that on that, on that yeah. level i don't know if i could either yeah yeah so that was you know that was interesting and then my body's response to the radiation i think you probably had your own experience this way too and anybody i've talked to has had a varying degree of this but the burning got pretty intense and the last week really sucked so essentially like not to be too too graphic basically all the tissue on this left breast got that lovely sort of gray dead skin cell look to it and ended up peeling off oh really and by the way get plenty graphic because you know people that have have been through this (laughs) they feel you you know what i mean i don't i don't know how many people are going to be are listening right now that you know haven't yeah. dealt with this, but I, I know that or I imagine yeah, a lot harder. It was intense. It's like, you really don't want to have to look at a breast that it, it was yours, especially that is like this gray brown color that it, most of it got, not, not, not my entire breast, but a lot of it. And especially up near the incision site, which for me is really axillary. It's like very close to my armpit, sort of the upper left part of my breast outside. And as the weeks went on, it just got worse and worse. And then what was interesting was after the radiation stopped, it was still getting worse for like a week before it started to like subside. And then that just, of course, freaked me out because I knew that that was true. Like, I understand that radiation gets in your body and it builds up and the, the factor of the killing off of the cells just continues to happen. But to actually feel it and to see it was like, whoa. And the other thing that happened for me was this really interesting, I've never experienced it at any other time in my life, and I hope I don't have to do it again. Very, very, very pointed, direct, drop to your knees pain that happened, maybe it happened like five to 10 times over the course of those two weeks. So it wasn't like a daily thing. It wasn't every single day and it wasn't multiple times a day, but once or twice a day stretched out over this two week period, like the last week that I was actually getting treatment. And then the week after that, 
I would be sitting in a meeting at Rasa or something and I would just get this, like as if somebody with a hot poker just like stabbed me in the breast. It was so intense. Oh my goodness. And then it stopped. Like as quickly as it came on, it just stopped, you know? And it would only last for a couple few seconds, but it would be enough to like literally, I would literally have to say to somebody if I was in a meeting for them, I'd be like, hold on, <laughs> you know? Like, just give me a minute. And the first time it happened, I was super freaked out. And then when it happened a few times again, I just I just equated it to that because then it hasn't happened since, you know. It's like, it must be some sort of buildup of the material, you know? Yeah, that was, on the pain level, that was, on the physical pain level, that was the thing that was like, yikes for me. Um, there's a whole other level of like emotional stuff that I went through, but on a physical level, like, did you ask your doc about that pain? Yep. Yep. You know, what was really interesting all the way through was basically like, it honestly seemed to me that they've seen it all as in kind of anything could happen here. You know, like whenever I talk to the techs or the doctor, they're like, yep. Yeah. Your body's just going through the changes. It reacts how it reacts. Mm. You know, basically, we're literally getting in there and burning things out. So it's going to affect you in different ways. I had a friend who, one of my friends in Boston, who I said I got to see when I went to Dana-Farber. Her name's Christine Bays, and she has this cool business that she started called the Yellow Umbrella Company. And she's also a musician. And so what happened to her was when she was 29, she got diagnosed with cervical cancer and mm. it was late stage. I don't honestly remember if it was three or four, but it was a late stage cervical cancer. And she very quickly went through surgeries and internal radiation. Internal. So did they, in, they insert it in her body? That's right. Oh my. Very intense, right? Yeah. So I knew from her experience that, anything goes, you know, for her, I mean, you should ask really, she would probably love to do this podcast with you. Well, let's get her on the podcast. She would love it. I bet she would. She's become a major, I mean, she devoted her life to it. Basically. She also does psychotherapy work with kids with like teens, but she, for many, many years only made a living basically talking about cancer. And so the yellow umbrella became a tour. She actually did music tours all over the country. Oh my um, and had had, she had amazing opportunities, amazing opportunities, including once she got to sing with Cheryl Crow and she did a tour with wow. Duncan Sheik and there were lots of people that she wow. connected with. Yeah. But she took this experience, right, of having this cancer and she was like, I am going to make sure that other teenage girls and young girls know that it's really important to care for all these things about your body so that you will hopefully not get cervical cancer and so she just made it her mission and for like the better part of 15 years maybe more that was pretty much all she did that's wonderful yeah that's it was wonderful. great but it all went back to our back and forth about radiation because she actually wrote a song called radiation katrina which i think is about her radiation tech mm. so she did this whole song about her experience with radiation and in this relationship with this person, you know, like who was there for her, who really like supported her through this insane experience, right? Yeah. 
I mean, who wants to be a radiation tech who's doing internal radiation on somebody who has cervical cancer? Right. Yeah, that, I mean, it's you're getting so personal. Like, nobody wants to do that, right? I would hope not. And she'll, I'm sure, tell you whatever she would. She, she talks about this stuff very freely, but her radiation, internal radiation, essentially, like, completely messed with her body, if you can imagine. Like, front and back, you know? She, like, has had many, many, many complications because of that. Yeah, my, I can perhaps empathize I'll, I'll know more when i speak with her but the radiation i received you know since i had rectal cancer was aimed at the rectum which was and it was right near my anal sphincter muscle and so then it went out the other side and i had all kinds of uh, side effects on my testicles oh, that oh my god you know, that i wish i'd known that that was going to happen, I would have asked, like, you know, can't we put a little, you know how you wear a lead vest? Like, can't you put a little lead vest around my testicles right. and around right. my business? So, so the, cause I had, I had boils on my testicles the size of my thumbnail with oh my like God. four and five whiteheads on each one. Oh my I was God. walking bow legged until they saw me and then they gave me, you know, topical treatment. And I think it's called Mepilex. It's this uh, bandage material that they use for burn victims that doesn't peel the skin off when they take the bandage off. Huh. But yeah, it just travels right through the body. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's unreal. It's yeah. The yeah. stories that, and, 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 you know, and I was bloated, like, you know, I was doing chemo and radiation for five and a half weeks and so bloated and gassy and my bowels were like, could not be counted on, you know, wearing an adult diaper half the time. It's just... Right. does so much to you it's 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 crazy it is yeah. crazy you did them both at the same time the pre-surgery yeah pre-surgery chemo and radiation and then post-surgery chemotherapy uh-huh so uh -huh. it's a lot it's yeah the gray brown skin was what i had on my breast that peeled off yeah and when you say peel do you mean like sunburn peel or you mean like chunky peel like uh, both. Oh, Rachel. Both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it also got under here because they were doing, I still have the three, there's three little tattoos that I now have, which also I thought was so funny because they don't even, they didn't tell me about that, right? It's like somebody comes in with a pen and all of a sudden she's like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, what's that? She's like, well, those will be tattoos on you forever. Yeah. And I just said, could we talk about that for a second? Like, yeah, it's too late, but wouldn't it be interesting if they approached it a little bit differently? Cause they're only doing it because they want to know where to go, right? But wouldn't it be really interesting from a radiation receiver standpoint to have that moment be, I have thought about ahead of time and like, we need to precisely know where we're going. So, which is why we have to mark these spots, but how would you like that done? Maybe we could do like a little flower. Maybe we could do like a, you know, what would you wish for here? You know, maybe put a little hearts like in all those little spots, but instead I just have this dot, this whole like dot thing going on. Yeah, so they can triangulate the machine and get the right. exact area. Yeah, I've got that on my uh, my butt. Got three, uh -huh. three tattoos. And, uh -huh. you know, I wondered when I got mine about people's spiritual beliefs and if that was going to be okay. Sure. Like, uh, you know, my... Uh, Jewish side of the family tells me, you know, if you have tattoos, if you're Jewish, you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Uh -huh. And perhaps 
I wonder, you know, what a medical required tattoo. I don't know that. I don't know the uh, ins and outs of that, but just made me wonder. It made me think about it a lot through the whole process. And I'm such a spatial relationship person that I was also just really aware of the space, you know, and I thought it was a perfectly fine space. And I know they need to keep those places sterile. So it's not like you can have a lot of stuff around. But at the same time, I just was like, wouldn't it be a really different experience if like they could create these spaces for people and there might be some out there in other hospitals, you know, I don't know. But where it actually was like on some level had some connection to people being human. Yeah. You know, cause you walk in and there's this insane large piece of equipment Right. And then it's like, however you have to lay and then they're moving your body around in all these ways just to get you in the right spot in the right position. And I don't know, it just made me think about all of that. But for sure, with those little tattoos, I was like, oh, man, I would have chosen little hearts, for God's sake. I would have put a little tiny heart there. Yeah. And wouldn't it have been wonderful if they asked and they said, and they're like, yeah, you want to do a little flower and have the pinpoint center of right. the flower be right. or be, yeah. be the base of the stem that's my right. that's my spot i know right versus like the bluish gray tattooing you know i was lying down and all of a sudden this woman came at me with a pen and when it was done is when i said what are you doing oh, and then she was basically like oh this is to mark the spot it's permanent i don't and I was remember like, permanent <laughs> you permanently altered my body without asking <laughs> yeah huh uh, that really just happened i know i, I know had my rectum removed and when surgery was over and I was somewhat conscious or gosh, maybe it was when I had my post surgery meeting with my doc, he told me that he also removed my appendix. So it's very common to get an appendicitis once you've had your rectum removed. So I took that out too. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what right maybe you want to ask if i want my appendix removed like it is mine after all like, now here's the thing rachel he was a wonderful doc and i still love the guy he's so great and so i had to just take some breaths he left the meeting was over i thought about it. i thought to myself if he had recommended it mm -hmm. i ultimately would have gone ahead with it was this down in Sloan? No, this was in uh, Sayre, Guthrie in Sayre, PA. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, Memorial Sloan Kettering was, uh, was different. It was, uh, they didn't miss a beat. They were phenomenal. I was told by the surgeon I saw when I was diagnosed the second time that after the surgery, they'd send me home with drains coming out of my body. And so when I went for a second opinion, I spoke to Dr. D'Angelica at Memorial Sloan Kettering. He said, no, we don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, we've just found surgery techniques so that we don't have to do that. It's mm -hmm. not necessary. And I just thought to myself, oh, like that got my attention. And then when I decided to work with them, like every step of the way, I mean, I could spend a half an hour right now telling you about docs who made a decision about either my treatment or my post-surgery tests, my post-surgery scans, you know, and blood work, I could spend a half an hour telling you about them telling me that one thing was going to happen, 
And then I or my former wife would ask them a question and they'd say, oh yeah, that's a good point. Well, then we should do X instead of Y. Mm -hmm. Changing the treatment as we ask questions, you know, letting everyone know self-advocacy is so incredibly important. When mm -hmm. I was at Memorial Sloan Kettering, any question I asked, they had a perfect explanation and there was no change in uh -huh. treatment plan because of it. They were fantastic. So how did you treat this? No one can see what I'm doing. I'm covering my mouth when I talk to her. Like you even told me the gray brown skin peeling off. Like how, how did you treat that? What did they provide you? What did you provide yourself? <laughs> They didn't provide me with much, you know, honestly, sort of talked about using aloe a little bit, but there wasn't a whole lot of guidance there. So I used some essential oils that I knew that are calming for the skin and they wouldn't let me do anything while I was still getting the radiation though. They wouldn't like, there was this weirdness around, they were concerned about it not being the right decision. I mean, they, they gave me something to use that like had some aloe in it. There was a skin healer, but as far as all the things that I knew how to do stuff, there was a little bit of like concern around it, which I thought was interesting. I don't know why exactly, but the truth is that it got worse for me when I stopped. Like I had a rough few days as I was wrapping up radiation, but it was the following like 10 days that was worse. Yeah. I remember a week after mine it took a week. Mine kept getting bad for the week yeah. after radiation and it's mm. yeah it was rough it was definitely rough and there were different patches that were worse i took some photos so that i could have them forever so i would be reminded of it for some reason so i have a couple photos of it that are pretty intense i once in a while go back and see them i'm like oh right that happened i'll never forget laying on the table and having a doc give me a sigmoidoscopy and I'm looking on the screen and I can see my rectal tumor. Hmm. And, you know, in my mind, in my memory, what I recall is the tumor being purple, red, blue, green, yellow, orange. Is that what it looked like? No. But really what's behind that image in my mind is just really like my body's response to the sensation I had, the experience I had when I saw this tumor in my body, like it became so real. Yeah. When you see the effect yeah. of right. your cancer, it's right there in front of you. Even if it's the treatment, it's just like, yep. it changes things. Yep. <sighs> oh, the other thing that's interesting to share is that my, and I'm just being reminded of this, looking back at these photos, but my house was being renovated. So literally like when I got diagnosed, the day I got diagnosed, I was staying at the Argos, which is an inn near us in Ithaca because I had a few days that I needed to get out of the house because I didn't have a toilet. So I said, well, I'm gonna make the most of this. We had a little trade going with Argos so I could get in there and I was like, great, I'll use this now and stay for a few days. And that's when I got diagnosed, I wasn't even home. Mm. And so the next day I called my contractors and I was like, I need a toilet tomorrow. Like I have to be home, even though my kitchen was completely gutted. So the whole time I was going through this process, my bathroom at the time, I only had one bathroom in the house because I was doing a major renovation. So the bathroom that was upstairs and my kitchen were completely gutted. I remember coming and visiting you and you just having like 
no kitchen. And you were happy. <laughs> you were happier living in a home with no kitchen. I was. Than to not be home. I was. I was like, I don't care what you got to do, but you got to do something. Mm. When I was diagnosed a second time, I was renting a room from my a friend because my wife at the time and I had split up. So I moved uh -huh. out of the house. And here I am uh -huh. living in my buddy's place, renting a room, and I get diagnosed with a stage four cancer diagnosis. Right. It's right, just right. like, this is not where I want to be right not now. Where I want to be. I, I'm not married. <laughs> or I'm not with my wife. I don't have a job. And yeah. I'm renting a room from a friend. I feel like I'm in free fall in life. And then I got diagnosed with a stage four diagnosis. It's just like, you want home. <laughs> I totally want home at whatever state that it's in, right? This is, I don't know if you can see this. Let me know if you can see that. Mm, looks like a really bad sunburn. Yeah, so that's my underarm. Oh. That was like after it had started peeling off. I'm trying to see if I can find some other... So funny to look back and actually see everything that was happening then. I remember radiation being a sunburn on a sunburn on a sunburn over right. and over and over. It's just... Yeah, it's intense. It really is. It really is. And then, like you said, the emotional side to it. Like, may I ask you about that? Yeah, sure. What was that like for you? Well, I mean, similarly to what I was saying before about that first, the first like few days or weeks, like I, I mean, it wasn't that I was on some sort of autoton thing. I definitely had my own meltdown moments and this sort of fear factor come in, but I think I really did kind of get into this groove of, I just want to get through this process. Like, I want to just be able to move through this process. And so I think subconsciously, I kind of got into a little bit of a track where I was doing okay. And, you know, and the, the other thing, which I think is very real is that I really did have a, thank God they got this early, mm -hmm. right? So there was a lot of gratitude there and that was going on. I didn't really have the, I never went through the levels that I think a lot of people do completely understandably of this sort of like, why me kind of thing. I didn't have that. I felt very much like something needed to go. Like I have been a fairly active person in terms of trying to understand my psyche and my heart for my whole life. It's like, as you know, what Scorpio is like, I have Scorpio on my ascendant, you know, with Neptune there. So it's like, I got really big Scorpio energy. And I have this intercepted eighth house, which also makes it very internal, you know, the sort of cancer about family and stuff It goes really deep for me. And it's really like, just goes in. And so I think that a lot of what I was just going through in my life, the summer before I got diagnosed, I had a really hard breakup with somebody after having had a hard breakup like the year before that. Yeah. Um, and I just said, I can't do relationship, that kind of relationship right now. So I was in this interesting place in my life. I was like, I had put that part of my life like on hold, you know? I was like, I, I need to clear, something's got to clear. Mm -hmm. And then I did the house renovation. And then there was this body renovation. And I really just honestly felt that. I just felt like, Thank God I got it early. I really feel like something's got to go. I'm going to just be with it. And then it wasn't until a few days, and it was only a few days, 
after radiation that I think that level of sort of pull up my bootstraps and like, I got to get through this, you know, fell away. And then I definitely had a lot of like, I think it was just release. I don't think that it was, I don't think it was a whole lot other than that, you know, but I felt like it really put me into this. What do I really want to do with my life? Like everything is so precious and also unknown and we can only do what we can do to know what's going to happen next literally like moment to moment and although I run a business that has a whole lot to do with asking people to be present and I feel like I'm a fairly present person in my life I felt like there were still things I could do so I just felt like it really moved me into like a much deeper healing what came through that which was really interesting so my like I finished my radiation in April and maybe it was the end of April. I'd have to look, but I want to say it was like late in the month. Maybe it was in May. It wasn't long after that. It was very soon after that, that I had this really pretty remarkable moment where I think you know who Andrew Bouget and Cindy Black are. Yeah. Friends of mine that started the massage school here, lovely people. I don't want to go into the whole history, actually. First of all, it would take too long. And second of all, just this isn't the place for it, but we had a bit of a falling out and a shift in our relationship many years earlier. And we were very, very, very close. So it was a real, it was almost my most important breakup. Mm. Andrea and I stayed in loose touch, but Cindy and I hardly had any touch for like 15 years. Oh, wow. And I bumped into her at the farmer's market. Like on a Saturday, they had just come back from Florida. I actually think she was here and Andrea still was in Florida or still, or somewhere. And we just had this moment of like, hi. And then we sat at the market for like two hours and talked. And it just led to this huge healing, mm. which led to me being having them back in my life. And now they're a huge force in my life. And so is Ellen, my partner, who I met. Well, I had known her. I don't want to go into all the details there, but she and I knew each other. And we got into a partnership relationship that following fall. And then the spring to the summer was my time of like re-establishing this connection with Cindy and Andrea. And that's when I really got deeply connected with William and Lenore. For me, it was just like this, like the world just opened up in this way that was really amazing. And I really sat with for a long time, just this feeling that like something had to go, like I had to shed something. And my body was like, all right, then we're going to do it this way. Like I couldn't get myself there on my own. Yeah. I couldn't quite get there. And so I think it just really felt like something cleared the way my relationship with my family changed in different ways where I just wasn't as attached to the outcome. You know, I've always wanted my family of origin for me to be closer. And also astrologically speaking, it's, it's just not where my life is. You know, I have this whole other family that's not these biological beings that, really support my life and not that my family doesn't especially my mom she's ridiculously lovely and Hmm. our lives are so different you know they're just really 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 different and I just felt like that process of coming out of that was this like huge emotional healing Mm. now just quick question where were you in the diagnosis when you saw Cindy at the farmer's market done with radiation you'd finished radiation yep wow when I listen to you say all of that, where it brings me to is, you know, you healed your relationship 
with Cindy and Andrea. You you saw each other and you chose to, chose to sat down. Excuse me. You saw each other and chose to sit down and open that door. And the result was not only creating a wonderful relationship with him again, but you find a woman who ends up being the love of your life and William and Lenore and you know, the incredible human beings that they are and the teachers mm -hmm. that they are and William being your uh, photography buddy. Totally, you know, I took photos for, I did photography professionally off and on for many years. I just didn't ever point it at nature. Mm. And then that was it. And that honestly is my refuge now. Like I'm still doing it about once a week. I go out sometimes for 12 hours. Now was birds something that you and William had in common or is that something you two created together? He had been photographing birds for a really long time. And he, I remember this conversation because he was like, you know, I do some, he made it seem like, oh, I kind of do this thing on the side and then come to find out he does a crazy amount of bird photography. Like it's a huge passion for him. And he said, I wonder where I could go. And at the time, so people are listening that don't know Ithaca, we're at the base of Cuga Lake and at the north end of the lake is this amazing refuge called Montezuma. And it spans miles. There's literally like probably 15 places to go that much of the year you'll see serious wildlife. You really? Know? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I didn't either. Well, I had never been to Montezuma and I lived in this town for like, you know, almost 26, 27 years at that point. Yeah. I've been there, but I only know the main route. No, no. I'll tell you if you want to sometime. There's okay. lots of other yeah, to I want to. So the first day we went up there, that was as if they were saying, okay, showtime, everybody. So we got there and there were probably 15 osprey and like 30 heron. And they were in their heyday of display. And that was it. After one day, that was it. Like I bought new equipment and I haven't looked back and I've probably been out with my camera nearly every week since then. So, you know, four years. Mm, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it really was this like magical experience for me. I mean, I know not everybody else has that blessing, but I just felt like, um, and then William with the I Ching, I'm now studying I Ching with him pretty regularly. He and Cindy and Andrea and I actually have this weekly, well now it's bi-weekly, but date that the four of us are just sitting down sometimes with Lenore. And oh, lucky you, that sounds wonderful. We've been doing it for years in different groups, but because of the pandemic, it's just us that are doing it right now. So it's letting me dive deeper into that material, which I find really, really interesting. I'm just sort of fascinated with all those different levels of spiritual teachings and ways of understanding nature and human nature and now i'm going to have to request a little more time with you because i would yeah. like to uh <laughs> delve a little deeper into the toltec I Ching. for those of you who are listening william horden wrote a book called the toltec I Ching, where he took his uh the two root teachings you know the two teachers he grew up with what one was a uh, toltec teacher and rachel what was the other one he well, the I Ching is really his place of study and the Toltec came in because his wife is from Mexico yeah, and it was their heritage. So they sort of combined forces and it was his sister-in-law. I mean, his, is that right? His sister-in-law, who would that be? His wife's sister. His sister-in-law, yeah. Okay, yeah. So his sister-in-law did the visuals, the graphic work mm, on the book. No kidding. Yeah. So they collaborated on that for a long time. 
but he, if you didn't know this, and we can do this offline too, but he's the author of probably 15 other books. I was going to say for the listeners, like, <laughs> this is one of the many books this yeah. man just pumps out. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's a huge gift for me, you know, huge gift to like have them be such a pivotal part of my life. And... Yeah. And you know me well enough to know that when I hear about a relationship that falls apart and then it comes back together and it's healed. And then as a result of that, life just blossoms. That's just, that is what draws my heart and probably yeah. maybe anything else. Yeah, no, I think that it really was a, I mean, I wouldn't wish cancer on anybody. I certainly wouldn't have wished it on me. You know, it wasn't as if somebody would have sat back hmm. and said, hey, how about down in your life somewhere you're going to go through breast cancer? You know, I would never have thought that, but coming through it, I just have worked really hard at trying to find the blessings in it. And I do think I had a lot, you know, and they still keep on giving. I mean, and my house is beautiful. The renovation happened, right? It's like oh, yeah. my life with Ellen and her two teenage girls is lovely and her parents and her sister and their sons and, and their family so, that yeah, adores you. Hey, you know, it was like, I have a whole other family unit that I needed, you know? Yeah. And you can't, I mean, I don't know the details of your relationship in the past with Cindy and Andrea, and I'm certainly not asking, but I'll say for myself, when my wife and I split up, now we are no longer together, but we're close and we love one another. And for us to go through that, for me, well, for the both of us to forgive one another, and may I say, you know, for the both of us to stop judging each other and accept each other as, as human. Right. So, you know, that, you know, it's our nature to be flawed. Right. Things had to go really bad for us to, to forgive one another, to, to yeah. give up the judgment of one another and to heal. It had to go down a road that was really unpleasant and difficult for us to heal from it. And yeah. the experience of a healed relationship that went to a really difficult place is an incredible experience. And right. so funny because I sure don't recommend it, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> man, I'm so grateful that my life has gone this way, you know, because now yeah. I can love her again. Yeah. I love her the way I loved her when we first met, you know, when we first started, when we first became friends uh -huh. to go from loving her to not wanting anything to do with her to now right. loving her again. I mean, that's a, it's a beautiful experience to have. Yeah. It's really, really great. Oh my goodness. It sure is. So you had your radiation four weeks of it and went through the terrible burns and all of that treatment and recovery. And was that it? Was that it? Was that the end of it? Well, no, that wasn't the end of it because then I had to deal with the tamoxifen issue. Tamoxifen. That's often the drug. So I had what's called hormonally positive breast cancer. They aren't all that way, but mine was what they call it. I think it's ER, ERPR, I think is what it is. I can't remember right now, but it's basically that it was a uptake into my hormone receptors. Mm -hmm. So that's what they were dealing with and when that happens they recommend that you get on an aromatase inhibitor drug which tamoxifen is the main one and i did that and i had a really rough ride 
had a really rough start with it. There's lots and lots of side effects that people could look up. And I think I ticked off almost all of them. You know, it's everything from literally the first day I took tamoxifen was the first day I got a hot flash. Mm. So it like literally catapulted me into menopause. I was already perimenopausal and it just like threw me in menopause. I never had another period after that. Oh my. I mean, I was 46, so it's not like I was a kid, but you know, it still was this pretty radical, it was a pretty radical thing. Yeah. So that happened. I dealt with weird body issues, just aches and pains and kind of funky symptoms. My digestion got weird. A big thing was that I had this brain fog. So my memory has never been great. But then once I got on tamoxifen, it was like, oh my God, I can't function, right? Like I couldn't figure out necessarily how to really remember almost anything. And I run a business. <laughs> no bueno. I have to give like Abby Funk Gifford, who is my right hand at Rasa, a thousand thank yous because she's put up with a lot of stuff with me over the years. But that was one of them. I'd walk in, she'd be like, Rach, don't you remember the blah, blah, blah? I'd be like, nope, I got nothing. Wow. Wow. So I did that. I stayed on tamoxifen for three years. And then I tried a new drug that I did for like six months. And then I just made a decision six months into that. So I was supposed to be on the, these meds from their recommendation for five years. And you were on tamoxifen for three already. Yep. And then I took this other drug for a half year. And then I decided because I just needed to see what my life would be like off I got off of it in the fall. Mm -hmm. It's not like I have this like gigantic new way of being in the world, but I just feel a little less foggy. I feel a little less like masked by something that I can't explain. My digestion is a little bit better. So I'm just staying off of it. Everybody, I'm sure you probably have the same thing when you get a cancer diagnosis, then you're dealing with like, what your numbers are for possible recurrence and what's the statistic for this, that, and the other thing. And so if I had just done the surgery, the odds of me getting cancer, breast cancer again, was only like 13%. Okay. So staying on tamoxifen for five years would have cut that in half. All right. So, so they said, right. If I would have stayed on it as well, the other thing is that it ups your possibility of getting other cancers mm. right so i was looking at you know 10 percent ish right so there's like this now i'm at somewhere around 10 percent up possibility that i'll get cancer again and i just couldn't keep doing those the dance so i just decided to get off because i was like i could get another cancer from it or it could stop me from getting breast cancer from on it longer because maybe i'm that three percent between 10 percent and seven percent you know yeah, so statistically speaking, there's a 13% decrease. No. Statistically speaking, oh. I might have gotten cancer again after radiation only. There was a 13% chance of that. And that dropped to six, six and a half statistically by taking the tamoxifen. If I would have stayed on it for the whole five years. And if you stayed on it, there's a 10% chance that you'll get a different cancer. Not exactly, but that's... Yes. A lower percent? It's in that range. It's in that range. Yeah, it's just a, from just an immediate, you know, like a, a emotional response, it's just a twisted relationship. 
twisted yeah. conversation. I mean, I get that. And that's just how I'm responding to it emotionally you know, in my body. I'm just like, oh. And they're presenting you these numbers and saying, this is what can happen if you do this. And this is what can happen if you do that. I know I've had guests on the podcast with breast cancer who have taken tamoxifen. And for them, statistically, it was a really wise choice. Yeah. I have had a guest on the podcast who had such a small, you know, the margins were the margin, the, uh, the percentages changed so minimally and it made her feel so sick. She's just like, nope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of where I was too. You know, I mean, it was single digits, you know, and I did yeah. it for a half years. So I do feel like if, it, if it's supposed to help block a recurrence during that time, it probably did help. Three and a yeah. half years though. That's, I mean, you're a trooper. Yeah. 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 I don't recommend it. There are some people that do fine on it. I, mean, I know there's some people that are fine on it, but I just happen to be one of those people that was super sensitive to it. I mean, I don't, I don't have a history of substance use in my life, hardly at all. So I feel like getting any kind of synth synthetic material in my body, my body was like, the hell is that? You know, I mean, I take ibuprofen occasionally. You can probably mm. count on one hand the number of times I've had to do any kind of like antibiotic. So I just don't, you know, I've chosen like more natural roots. So I think that my body was just not happy at all. My body always responds intensely to anything that gets put in it, any kind mm -hmm. of drug, any kind of hormone or whatever. My body does not respond well. And, yeah. uh, you know, following my surgeries and the anesthesia, following chemotherapy, I used to say it took me a month before I could recover from that and feel normal again. And then it was only a years later that it dawned on me that perhaps it was a month that went by before I had the experience that things were normal again. Right, right. Because I seem to be, oh, I'm being so nice to myself, I'm gonna be honest. I constantly have, you know, friends and my son saying, yeah, you already told me that. Oh. <laughs> like, you know, and maybe, you know, if I told him just once, it wouldn't really matter. But since I've told him the fourth or fifth time, you know, I have no memory and I just look at them, I go, yeah. My memory is in pretty rough shape. That's not something you can count on from me. That's what I, that's what I do now too, you know. I tend to I remember just, what I have to do, but I tend to forget what I've told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I can't always remember what I have to do. I uh, We recently just hired, so we're a, at Rosso, um, most of those 70 some people, I mean, now it's the pandemic, so everything's different, but we'll just use those numbers. Most of those people were service providers. So offering the facials and the body work and all that stuff. And then the handful of people who do administrative stuff, like work the desk and help us book appointments. And we have a very small management team. There are two other people besides myself at the main location overseeing the overarching business. And one of them, somebody left during the pandemic and we had just hired what would have been a third person that's now a second person. And I've known her for quite some time, but we haven't really worked together. And I sat her down like a couple days in and I said, look, just so you know, my memory is horrible. So if you need to like remind me about stuff or whatever, just keep doing it. But if you get frustrated, please find me privately and tell me that. I'd really prefer that over some public display of like, you've got to be kidding me, Rach. <laughs> How many times have we talked about this thing? I will say since I've been off the drug, I would say I'm a little bit better. I was hoping it was just going to be this miracle, right? I was kind of hoping get off those two drugs and be 
back to whatever it means to remember stuff regularly-ish, even though my memory's always sucked. But that's not the case. It's, I would say that it eased some of the intensity up a little bit, but it's still pretty bad. It's gotten a little better. Maybe it might get a little better as time goes on. Right, right. Yeah. We're alive. That's true. That is true. So here you are. You are what? Four years out? Four years and a few months. Hmm. It has been wonderful having you with me. We've been working Aww. on this for a while. I really enjoyed I this conversation. Thanks. Me too. Me um, too. As much as we were in conversation as you went through it, mm -hmm. there's plenty I did not know about. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rachel. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. If you'd like to support But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, please go to our Patreon page at Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. See you all in the next episode, and thank you so much for listening. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of Saint Kid. You can find him on social media as The Saint Kid. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The hosting guests are not medical professionals, and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.